Welcome back to the Quiet Onset podcast powered by Cinnamon. I'm Ewan Graf and I'm joined by Lachlan Teeley for this little special review today. What's up, Lachlan? We'll talk hey, about All Quiet in, on the Western Front and I can actually can use my own language this uh, in this episode and can tell you the German title. Do you want to hear how uh, this movie's called in German? Yes, but quickly, I like to flex that I always use my language in every other episode basically you're so impressive i'm man. so impressive that's crazy <laughs> no tell me the title what's the title in german investen nichts neues investen nichts neues when you say it it sounds like you are uh saying a vow to someone you're like <laughs> essentially you just got married to me is what i'm saying oh excellent <laughs> no this is actually a really famous novel uh from i think 1928 29 uh by erich maria Römack, uh, which i got the book right here um because it is one that uh you, you read a lot here uh in europe i read it as one of my finals um actually got tested on that and got my degree off of that book being tested by it so it's it's one that i hold uh, dear to my heart just because i've been forced to read it but also because i really enjoy it and this most recent readaptation over on netflix really doesn't hold back when it comes to the action the gruesome nature of uh war the first world war and i think to kick things off i'll be reading the synopsis for the film so you kind of know what you're getting yourself into paul Baumer and his friends albert and muller act on by romantic dreams of heroism voluntarily enlist in the german army the boys enthusiastically march into a war they believe in but once on the western front they discover the soul-destroying horror of world war one so that's edward berger's uh 157th minute long uh world war one film that's been received very positively so far, uh, 75 on Metacritic, 8 on IMDb, a 4 on Letterboxd, really consistent in uh, the rating as well. Not really big gaps between the different sites, uh, which is usually an indicator for a universal general, uh, I guess, acceptance, liking of the film, which is great because it's also Germany's uh, Oscar submission. And I think they have a good shot at getting in there, might even have a good shot at winning that international Oscar and uh, would be a great win for Netflix. <laughs> basically after losing, after Apple participates one year, they're like, oh yeah, we'll take the trophy. Um, but we'll see. Uh, comes from the director whose most notable work so far has been um, limited or, or seasons of TV shows with Your Honor and Patrick uh, Melrose, uh, where he's worked with English actors. And I think the other one is with Brian Cranston, maybe. And I'm not entirely sure. I'll have it up on screen right now. Luckily, for a movie like this, a period piece, a war drama, lots of action, uh, there's no available budget that I could find for it. But what would be your uh, totally not backed up estimated guess of how much this movie costs to make? Oh, wow. Um, it seemed extremely high quality. I was yeah. uh, overall, just as we quickly get into this, my, my thoughts on the film is that, that again, very positive, surprisingly positive. I didn't expect myself to go in liking this film. Uh, I don't know why I just I had a weird feeling about it. I guess the trailer that I watched wasn't mm -hmm. that crazy, but everything from the acting to the cinematography, to the set design, to the sound design is all really good really high quality but it yeah. screams at me that it's a very low budget 
film. Now, I don't know how much money Germany mm. throws at movies. I'm just trying to think of a, a recent war film that was spent. Are we going US dollars? I want to say... Yeah. Ooh, let's go 20, 25 mil. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty much a, a good estimate to make. I mean, if you compare it to something like 1917, that costs like 90 to 100 million. Mm. But I feel like that's a more expensive movie to make uh, just because on the technical side, they... Uh, are constraining themselves to a specific look and that like that that one take look right and here i think it comes from um just really probably crunching the numbers and getting the best out of uh whatever you like it, it always it never feels like they're limiting the scope of what they're showing uh but they just tie it into the narrative really well that like we get a lot of repeated shots of i guess them down in in the trenches and going out and a bunch of people get killed. So it's like that same thing that you can reuse, but they use the environment really cleverly mm. to make it seem like it's way more expansive yeah. uh, than it is. And yeah, it has a super clean look, like that dirty, of course, because everything's dirty and muddy and disgusting and war, but it, it looks really clean on, on that aesthetic. Like I think the cinematography is another really great standout. And I agree, the sound in this, Holy shit, the sound of this is amazing. Sounded great on my Dolby Atmos, Dolby Vision enabled soundbar and TV system, as this is obviously a Netflix movie. So being able to watch it from home, you're only going to get the most out of it if you have a setup that's good. So I could definitely see some people being like, oh yeah, you know, it, it looks good, sounds good. But if you're watching it on a good setup, like it really does help and I guess this is going to be a big mm. factor because you go and watch it in a cinema, you, you know, cinema's a, a bit different here and there. So it's a really interesting conversation about, you know, personal home setups for TV and movies and so forth. But, yeah. you know, cinemas, you know, you have Dolby cinemas, then you have just standard cinemas, then you've got like little art house cinemas. Like they all are very different, but you get that experience. You go watch a movie at a cinema, you get that experience. You don't really have that at home. Mm. So having something that's, you know, a decent setup, you know, decent amount of sound systems adobe atmos enabled anyway these days uh it yeah. just sounded so good like it's so good right yeah it's amazing like the war scenes are so loud you know they're, they're really uh ear shatteringly loud and they gotta be uh we are playing it at our uh the theater that i work at and we had a bit of trouble uh getting the mix uh ready because it is like really that loud <laughs> <laughs> and our little outhouse theater maybe isn't like really up for uh, putting that spectacle onto the uh, spectacle onto the best screen possible. But still, I think if you can go see it and you don't have an uh, Dolby supported Atmos soundbar, I don't know the full name of, of your thing, Lachlan, uh, then yeah, go see it in theaters. I think it, it will shake your seat uh, and yeah, see it on the biggest screen um, possible. Lachlan, let's get into uh, our spoiler talks. Uh, so if you haven't seen the film yet, if you've read the book, you got a pretty good idea of what's coming. Hey, look, this bonus lecture here. It's a really good book as well. Like, I can't send it to you because it actually is in German. And as you can see, I, I, I did have like it's I have markings in it. Wow. Yeah, because I, I, did, I did read it. So for my thing, uh, I also just FYI, I forgot everything <laughs> so everything was new to me when i was watching the one thing that allowed the spoilers uh was the one f- moment later on down in the trenches i remember that like vividly 
uh, in the book because it's it's pretty much the highlight of the whole book to me at least. Uh, but we'll, maybe we'll get into that. Uh, I think I want to start at the opening because we've praised the sound. And I think the sound is a very distinctive choice here where we go with uh, a more electronic, more modern sound that mm. feels like really harsh. It's like piercing as we see these uh, young uh, teenage uh, teenage boys, you know, they're, they're not men, they're, they're boys, marching to war with excitement and being basically slaughtered uh, one after another. I think it's a very clever way of starting with that different soldier uh, as it like ties back uh, to our lead and he gets his uniform. Um, really powerful moment to kick it off. Uh, Lachlan, what did you think uh, of the opening? It's such a... It, like, I enjoy movies that don't hold back. They're just throw you straight in and it's very interesting to have that for a a war film because for most of us we're not going to experience anything like that for for a good 70 percent of the population knock on wood we're not going to experience another world war because we've learned from the previous two mistakes and obviously all the spin-offs such as vietnam Korea, the rest of them. Um, Seriously, just called Vietnam a spin-off. I call it, yeah, yeah. So, did you not see them on the show notes that oh, I've got a great joke about World War One and the World War One was that it's unfortunately followed up by the much better sequel, World War Two, and then all the spin-offs such as Vietnam, <laughs> Korea, and so forth, so forth. Um, that's my joke that I had prepared for today. Thank you, everybody. I shall move right. on. Um, yeah. But, you know, very similar to the men that were in this situation, you know, we go mm-hmm. in to watch a movie and then we're thrown into this mess. Similar to that. You know, they, yeah. it, the war was glorified. It was a heroic, patriotic thing to sign yourself up, you know, fake your mm. own age. You know, they set up quite early. But the first moment of experiencing that war with this one person, you kind of go, oh, okay, we're, we're already in it. Boom. That's a protagonist, right? You, you don't know yet. You don't know. You don't know. Protagonist. Boom. Yeah. This, is, this guy dies. He's mm-hmm. he's fighting and he dies and it's very dramatic and then it's this montage of dead bodies and people pulling off the clothes of these dead bodies and you know taking off the dog mm-hmm. tags and stuff like that and you go what the hell is going on here and then yeah. you're introduced to your main characters and the exact same clothing it's that, that first Duty. guy did uh, first guy died yeah. wearing those clothes that he died wearing I handed off to our yeah. protagonist and. It's such a, like, gory and dramatic opening that you just go, holy shit, they have no idea what they're about to walk into. Because uh, yeah. we just saw this guy die, these guys, no chance. I think it's also, uh, you know, with good war films that are anti-war films, um, sometimes towing the line between idealizing war in a sense as well is not really walked closely because it's still the spectacle of war and destruction mm. and murder. And I think here it's also not holding back on on making that a part of the film. But I think that the dread is so... You're like, you're really close to the character, but you also feel like one step removed where it's yeah. just like impenetrable force and uh, happening. All the stuff's happening to our characters, not him causing it, although it's also part of causing destruction. I think ultimately his own downfall on uh, where they end up with and die is all caused by their own ignorance to, towards it all. And it's completely 
unnecessary, you know, by the end of it. Um, so really, uh, it's, it, it, it's a movie that sticks really closely to the novel. And I think the novel had so many great uh, just observations when it comes to war because it's based on um, the, the author Remarque's actual own experience in World War One. Um, there's also, I think, a bunch of diaries that I attached in the version that I got. And it's it's really interesting because it doesn't feel like someone's retelling uh, World War One from his perspective because it's exciting or it's like, look at this thread, but it's it feels very personal somehow even after uh, after after a century of, of this um yeah being done um it's a very worthy readaptation of the story and you know i'm i'm someone who who likes war films a good war film uh which uh can can you can you speak on that are you someone who's who's uh interested in in the war film genre uh i wouldn't say that i'm interested in the genre but i i can definitely say and i think that you will agree that war films are some of the most emotional but but also emotionally draining films brought to screen yeah as a viewer because mm -hmm. it typically will depict and sometimes even bring to light some of the most despicable atrocities that have ever taken place on this earth and yeah it it can be terrifying from a perspective of just a viewer like us to go Man, that's crazy that that happened, and then go, oh shit, this is based on a a, a story that was written back in, uh, what was it, 1930, 1920? Yeah, around that time. Uh, mm -hmm. Based yeah. on this guy's experience of World War One, And I think that most of us, you know, similarly, when we watch a war film, most war films are very anti-war, uh, especially some of the, uh, what I would consider are some of our favorites. Uh, Kubrick was an extremely yeah. anti-war uh, director, Pars of Glory, yeah. super anti-war. Uh, yeah. Doctor Strange Love and How I Stop Learning to Love, whatever the full title is, very anti-war. Mm -hmm. uh, Full Metal Jacket, very anti-war, but they're all very anti-war in different yeah. ways. This is obviously mm -hmm. very different. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Because I, I wouldn't say that those films, are, you, you, you watch it and you go, this is very anti-war, but this film I don't think wants to say anything like that. It would... It rather would no. tell this story of these young mm -hmm. lads going off to war and th the mental strain of what it can be. And I, and I guess this was more of a, I guess it became more of a story of human connection and how really there is no difference between, you know, yourself and myself from a, you know, a strictly a, you know, biological standard. Uh, you know, we're all both mm -hmm. human, but we yeah. have decided to create wars based on, so many factors, uh, you know, race, religion, just even just a wall between two different countries. And by the end, you know, they're, they're making fun of the French, but at a certain point, Paul is, he's trying to help a French dude out. He's trying to, he sees the, the disgusting side of him that was like, I'm going to kill, kill, kill. And he he's watching yeah. this man die in front of him and, it gets even worse when he pulls out his diary, sees that he's a father of a, of a, uh, I think it was a kid, a daughter and uh, a husband mm -hmm. and it hits you more. Yeah. So I don't feel like, I feel like most war films that we have kind of like, what I would list as my favorite war films are solely like 
we are anti-war. We don't want war to exist. Yeah. You know, there's, there's other stories of the mental strain. Full Metal Jacket's very famous for that. And I would say Apocalypse Now as well. Mm. But this film was a bit different in yep. talking about the human connection between two different sides, you know. Um, but uh, no, yeah, I, I love uh, war but, films. Yes, sir. I, I think what it also does is, uh, I think I didn't bring that point across before, uh, that it's not really trying to tell you, hey, I'm anti-war. It's through that connection. And, you know, it's not it's not prefaced by like an opening narration. So this is before I went to war and I didn't realize before then how terrible it was. It shows you the perspective of someone who's really excited to go into war. But all you get is just you as a person looking onto it. That's why I, I felt like I'm more distant to what's happening because I got no control over uh, what's about to happen that I know will happen. The character doesn't know it yet and he's still in his own beliefs. Mm. And it, it makes for a, a morally gray character who's obviously killing. And they're killing each other, but you can't really say one on the other side is like in this, at least the p people fighting are at fault. At fault are those people who rigorous, rigorously just want to keep fighting. And, um, you know, there's there's a couple of characters, I think, in the B plot when it comes to that general who just wants to keep on going, who's like very much on the bad side. And then you got Daniel Bruce character who just wants the, the fighting to end, who's working for peace, who's on the good side. And then we got him in the middle, where I think uh, whenever we do scoot away from that morally gray area, the film becomes less interesting because you essentially just want a, a hero and a villain in this to kind of figure it out. But ultimately, it is about like the pointlessness of um, this really stationary trench war that just claimed a bunch of people for not even you know anything for for either side apart from death and destruction, which is really, I guess, the the overall thing that World War One um, really was about, like the, the early um appearance of tanks and you know the heavy artillery fire that makes it impossible uh to i guess like move along and have a sweeping uh like advantage for either party in the war so you end up um basically fighting over the same piece of land for for years uh which not not that if if you have a sweeping thing where <laughs> You know, as in World War One, where Germany was just like able to um, scoot over and get all of uh, France, that that's better. But it feels even more tragic as you can really see the pointlessness of this. Like, there's not even uh, like why do we continue this? You know, when there's nothing that is claimed apart from from um, human lives. It, it just makes a really easy story to tell of like why that's why war is bad. <laughs> And I think that's that's why it's so effective as well. But yeah, what did you think about that like B storyline? It obviously sets a like the B story obviously sets a very interesting comparison to the conditions of the war. You know, especially my my favorite comparison is is or at least a juxtaposition uh, that they represent uh, with these guys is the food they're eating. Like it's just so many mm -hmm. close ups and shots of this beautiful yummy food that these fat uh, wealthy kings and lords, essentially, because I've been watching House of Dragons, so mm -hmm. I'm very much in a medieval mood. Uh, yeah. They get to eat this delicious food while the people on the front lines are literally eating stale bread. Uh, so it sets a, 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 I guess, a borderline of 
what conditions they're currently living in and what the people who are profiting off this war essentially living living in. Uh, mm-hmm. So I did enjoy yeah. the Beeline story quite a bit because it was just a nice breather right. to get away from this intense fighting, these intense scenes uh, that are mm-hmm. quite gory, very, uh, again, emotionally draining uh, from a, you know, connect with these young lads and most of them get picked off one by one. But to have mm-hmm. these people in peace talks, essentially, or at least negotiations, or what was the word that you said? Uh, Verhandlungen. Excuse me? V- v- Verhandlungen. Verhandlungen. Uh, thank you, that's <laughs> my German. Enough. That's my German. Uh, yeah. Have these war negotiations to, to, to fight and, and to end a war is is very exciting, especially for one of those beeline stories, uh, especially with the the German commander. I don't know what his exact title is. Who saw bald so, moustache? Yeah, bald moustache, yeah. very German uh, man. Uh, very Austrian in a sense. Very you, Austrian you, you German man. Hope yeah. he doesn't get assassinated. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Archduke. Archduke. Uh, anyway, yeah. uh, t- to have a conversation about what he will be doing after the war with, I guess, one of his generals is super interesting because all he is yeah. is a a man of war. He doesn't want this war to end because this is his life. This is what he's good at. The other guy has, a, mm. I guess, a butcher, a, a storefront that he can go back to, a family business. But... That's yeah. what he has. The other guy does not. Yeah, what's his, yeah? he's like, what's a soldier's purpose when there's 50 years of peace? Uh, I think that's one of his lines, which is, it's so um, tragic, you know, that you, yeah. the purpose that you find, that he never loses that, whereas the other people who are on the front who die then realize, you know, the cost that comes with it. Although I, th- I think they never really arrive at that where they like, they hate their own country, really. I think it no, really no, is God, at... No. at the end there's there's not a single, like so relieved at this war right i don't it's think why there's so, any so anti, well. like patriotism in this in this story at all because it, it it is i guess it diverts from this story like no one hates germany but it's these certain people that make these decisions that end up killing thousands and millions of men uh yeah you know this particular general by the end you know <laughs> How much longer till the uh, end of the war? Oh, like 20 minutes? Fucking send them out there. Send them out there. Let's win on a victory. That was, at that moment, I completely, I think at that point, I I really was just like drawn out by how many disgusting things I saw in this war. But to have this guy just send his men out after they've been celebrating for hours to then send out these men in the last 15 minutes before yeah. the end of the war to fight one last fight that wasn't necessary. It it really made me go, this mm. film is not about, you know, one side is bad, one side is... It's about these individual men who made terrible decisions in this war that just sent people to, to, to die. It It's very um very familiar to Paz of Glory with the anthill, just sending men to die uh, for exactly, no reason yeah. because because of his own his own success he wants to succeed that's something and I, that's I, really I interesting because paths of glory 
It's just on the other side of, of this exact situation. It's, it's the French it's that the have French. these, right? It's yeah. played by English actor, actors, but it's the French. And here we got the Germans. You can kind of see that, uh, what, I, what I said before, there's no real antagonist in, in this war apart from, uh, like you said, the singular characters who uh, just put people in the fight. And I, like you mentioned this just before we started recording that... Um, for you, it's one of those films that you would have loved to before we uh, share our full thoughts on get get a second um, viewing in. So, uh, what do you think w would add to a second a second viewing for for you? I guess uh, it's very similar uh, because this is a foreign film to me. I have to read the subtitles. It's very similar to Parasite. My first yeah. viewing of Parasite, I was like, "Wow, this is a great movie." But it wasn't until the second viewing where I could definitely take a bit more in. Similar to this, I, uh, a second mm. viewing, I think, would allow me to reread scenes because you know as much as as much as people want to say subtitles don't affect your viewing they do because they take your eyes off of the screen for a moment allowing me to yeah. know what's happening in each scene without having to always read the subtitles would be great because i could probably take more visual storytelling in um because yeah. that's what i did with parasite mm -hmm. parasite the entire time i was focused on what was being said because you know, during a during a film that you watch with your, you know, natural language, your normal language, uh, or your, I should say your first mm, language, yeah. uh, it's 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 easier to watch because you can listen to the you can listen to them talking and you can hear their emotion. Mm. With that, I have to hear their emotion, read the subtitles, and also keep an eye on what's going on in the scene instead of just watching the scene, yeah. listening to both the emotion and what's being said, uh, which. You know, it'd be great to be, you know, multilingual and just speak every language on the planet. But, it, it, you know, I don't take away from that. It's just that I have to go back and watch a foreign film a second time to get the most out of it. Since I was mm -hmm. essentially distracted in the first viewing, trying to keep up with what was being said. But if I could go back and rewatch it. Still better I, than dubbing, though. Still better yeah. than dubbing. Oh, fuck me. So, I fucking, yes. Forget dubbing. Yeah. Um, I'd rather have the original actor in there speaking. It's like when I watched, um, mm -hmm. oh, what was it? Uh, dark the first time on Netflix. Yeah, dark. Uh, I think the first two episodes, they were just automatically dubbed for some reason. I don't know why it was an mm -hmm. automatic setting. And it's I was horrific. like, this is terrible. It's Can someone horrible. stop this? It's, and then I watched the another, season yeah. instead. That's a German series who who has like a bunch of different voice casts who are terrible. I, I checked it out as well. I think after you mentioned it, I, I, I tried yeah. that out. But there's one show. Um, I think how to how to Train your make dragon. money online fast. Mm. Or so no, how to sell drugs uh, online, online fast, fast or something yeah. like that. That's got like two seasons. And what they do, they get the German actors to do the English dubbing. For the characters, smart. and it's a, it's a bit better. It's it's still not like it's still dubbing, but mm. it, it's at least a, a tiny bit better. Uh, so so I think this movie has a really good shot at especially getting into that five, um, five uh, one of those five slots for the international Oscar nomination. I think it's a pretty safe bet that it will be be in there. I think Close is another one from Belgium that I'll definitely be in there. Uh, definitely be in there. Uh, my two favorites uh, so far when it comes to international films. I think. Um, but Lachlan, wh where else do you see the Oscar chances in other categories where, uh, and some of the technical stuff where this might sneak in? Uh, I'm just quickly looking through a bunch of different contenders, I should say. Drive My Car was last year, wasn't it? 
Am I wrong? Uh, sorry, yeah, Giraffe Macabas last year. Yeah. yeah, I thought so. I thought I was getting it wrong. Um, well, sad news is I haven't seen a lot of foreign films this year. I guess uh, the ones that I know of would be the uh, Bardo would probably get nominated, right? Because <laughs> it's um, <laughs> Alejandro uh, G. Inaritu. Inaritu. No, I think it, it won't. Although it's You're been getting better reviews since it released in Mexico. Uh, it definitely won't get nominated. I don't okay. see it getting nominated. I, 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 I don't know if it's even their submission. Some of the only... There's only a few of these that I actually have on my watch list. One of those is Plan 75. It's that Japanese one. Yeah, Japanese, yeah. I haven't actually seen any reviews on it just yet. Have you seen it yet? I've seen it. Income. Is it good? <laughs> it's pretty It's pretty good. It's got a shot, but I think uh, Decision to Leave is another one that I kind of forgot. I think it's Close Decision to Leave uh all quiet on the western front and let's actually have a quick look over on gold derby the the site where you can um kind of uh do the betting and stuff like that on all of the oscar stuff let's see if i can pull it up yeah so so for the international uh thing they don't have something up on gold derby just yet i just noticed uh but they have a list of like leading contenders uh apart from what i mentioned close is one of them um, let's see what, yeah, Mexico submission is Bardo. Uh, I don't really see that going in. I've heard really great things about the Irish submission, the Irish girl, but, uh, apart from maybe Corsage, uh, I think that's one from Austria that could get, um, kind of out of, uh, get kicked out of that lineup. Uh, Poland's EO, the, <laughs> the donkey film. Um, but apart from that, I think, um, All Quiet is definitely going to be a nomination in the international uh, best international feature section, but I also think it's got a shot for uh, maybe not cinematography because that's sometimes not really tied to the best looking film. It's sometimes a bit odd choices mm. that make it in there. Uh, but I think that's something like sound, uh, especially because they like it when there's a lot of sound in there, and All Quiet has a lot of sound, mm. so I think it might get a nomination. There, um, probably not adapted screenplay, um, but I think it's also really solid screenplay, especially uh, knowing the, the base language it's based on. It's like sometimes you think dialogue is good in a foreign language just because you don't really know uh, what the intonation is or like how they perform it, and then it's it's a bit stale if you if you actually speak the language. But I think it's um, really solid here. And I don't know if there's any other categories that it would sneak into. I think the makeup effects are also incredible. Like this movie is really uh, brutal uh, to look at. You know, it's pretty to look at from the cinematography standpoint and lighting standpoint, but um, from a war standpoint of, of you know, seeing uh, people being shot up and killed, I think it's, it's very solid work as well. Mm. But Lachlan, let's, let's, have a, let's have a bit of a discussion um, on on war films um overall so uh you know i think this already shoots up a high in my list on on war films that i really enjoy but what would be um some of some of your favorite uh war films um number one would be tropic thunder <laughs> right okay you like that one you love it when they do uh, blackface yeah. i love it oh jesus no god don't say that um <laughs> i think back. we said i said a th i said three of them I'm, I'm, I'm a big kubrick guy and i really enjoy dr yeah. strange love paths of glory and full mm -hmm. metal jacket i think that those three are really 
great war films, all from the same mind, but three very different ways of telling, hey, fuck war, they suck. But other than that, yeah. uh, Platoon, Apocalypse Now, like, I really love yeah. Apocalypse Now. I had the 4K of it, and unfortunately my 4K DVD was defective. Turns out it was a batch of them, no. and halfway through the dinner scene, no. all audio cuts out for the rest of the film. All audio. Yeah. Doesn't matter where you watch it. Uh, Blu-ray, 4K, yeah. all of it cut out, which was unfortunate. Have but, you watched um, the extended version? Uh, of, uh, I think I have. Now? No, I think I have. It was like the final, final cut. Because like it extends to the dinner scene yeah. as well. Yeah. But no, yeah, I would say that those there are there are a number of those films. I I I really enjoy the like the Vietnam war films, like Full Metal Jacket and uh, Ingl- uh yeah. Inglorious Bastards, uh, um, Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. I find that those two are very fascinating. But at the same time, it's like, what would you consider a war film? Because I think Inglorious Bastards is a great example of a a more modern take on a war film that that's really yeah. fucking good. Like really good. Yeah. I find it really awesome, but mm-hmm. it's a hybrid of so many different genres with, uh, inglorious bastards. Um, yourself. Shinda's list. I think when we, uh, got to know each other, <laughs> yep. was probably, uh, Shocker, my, that one. my favorite film. I think, uh, our introductions, uh, at film school were like, what's your favorite filmmaker? And I was like, oh, fuck, I don't know. Spielberg <laughs> is the most basic answer ever. And I think uh, Schindler is also now the basic bitch answer for best war film. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be my favorite war film uh, now, but I think it's really, really solid in making you feel the dread uh, and just the destruction and the force that, uh, yeah, was, uh, was just um, done to people and that they were subjected to. So I think it, that's a really effective one. You mentioned Kubrick. I, I love all of his uh, war takes, but Paths of Glory, uh, I've said this when we did it like two years ago when we did a, a full on, um, what deep did dive. we call it? Uh, a deep dive, exactly. And went through the entire filmography of um, Kubrick. Like I said there, still is. Paths of Glory is my favorite Kubrick film. I think it's really effective in what it's trying to tell. Uh, some animated films from Ghibli uh, like Grave of the Fireflies might be my favorite Ghibli film overall when I want to be in, in a downer a good, mood. That's a, again, uh, like a unique kind of like war film. Like I, I could also say exactly. Pan, Pan's Labyrinth. I think that's a, oh, a yeah. good example of you wouldn't traditionally, you'd go fantasy, yes, but it's like there is an aspect yeah. of that film that's so based on war and anti-war. It's, yeah. it's, it's an exciting film to kind of say, watch your favorite war movie and you go, well, what about if I say pan? I will, again, it's not the focus. It's definitely a fantasy movie first, but there yeah. is a large aspect of a war in that one. That's that's a unique, mm-hmm. unique kind of. Idea. No, it's definitely a war film. Yeah. Um, well, something other like where we go into the future, and not as much science fiction. I think that uh, the Planet of the Ape films, um, at least, especially the, well, I guess, not War for the Planet of the Ape. I think that one is a bit weaker. But uh, the one before, or the, is it actually Rise? No, not Rise. Rises. No, I think War for the Planet of the Apes. No, that's the one I'm thinking of. I thought that War was the last one, but that's not the last one. Um, that one's really solid uh, with like human against uh, ape there. Uh, and you mentioned Vietnam. Um, I think that, uh, you know, a film that really deals with, with the trauma, uh, the PTSD 
that you you get from being in war the deer hunter another classic that like works really well within that genre mm. um and and yeah even fictional wars oh i guess i don't know how much i don't remember it precisely i just remembered really liking it the wind rises also a ghibli film from hayao miyazaki uh where it's like about a about a, a um like someone who who designs planes if i remember correctly mm. So the, the genre is very like vast and what is probably my personal favorite uh, war film of all time. It was also, I think, one of my four favorites when, uh, when we did like uh, that quite unsaid favorite films earlier this year is Come and See from 1985. That's uh, uh, from the perspective of a, a kid from uh, Belarus. Um, mm. I don't know if it's also translated into White Russia, which is the German translations which is, i don't know it's just a weird name but it's belarus uh where the germans march in and basically just uh, are not really seen on screen as much you just kind of see a lot of the aftermath and i think that's also the most intriguing part of what it is and i think uh all quiet on the western front is really showing you in the moment what war is but not really the repercussions the repercussions is what you do after the film when the dread has kind of settled and or when the dust has settled and the dread kicks in as you sit on your couch uh contemplating life it's like holy fuck so many people died for basically nothing this is so incredibly sad and infuriating uh one more i guess uh shout out to a, a war film and it's probably one of the the more recent ones that i actually had uh it's a vietnam one again i i, yeah, I don't know what it is mm -hmm. but the vietnam war was just a, a, an interesting setting for films i guess because there was a lot of shit that went down um i yeah. had this film recommended to me by my good friend kenny rimmer good lad great movie genius as well uh rescue dawn it's the uh werner herzog uh war film yeah uh, with christian bale in it uh it kind of just came to me just yeah just just boom because it was a, a war film that i recently watched that i wasn't expecting to to like too much but because uh, obviously uh yeah uh, herzog's filmography is absolutely wild it, it just ranges from like documentaries to weird art house shit uh and this was a really interesting one uh christian bale stars in it uh but yeah that was like another a war film that i absolutely loved i don't know if you noticed but 10 years before he made a film called little dieter needs needs to fly uh, i haven't seen also that by one, him which is a documentary I, I, it, but I haven't seen it yet you know that that's that's he's the character this is based on rescued on oh really oh wait no, yeah I think so this one hang on yeah little I, I wrote a small paper on like the differences from the adaptation of having like a documentary into into a film and mm. uh, i think that's a really like Werner herzog is such an interesting uh director yeah. overall i took a class on him uh i think a year or two ago at uni and uh yeah got to see rescued on as well that's that's a uh, another really interesting kind of not too well known i think uh war film because it also is a bit weird uh at times um well but, that's uh that's uh, yeah. herzog's film film style <laughs> weird it, it is a kind of him injecting himself into like a lot of his documentaries let me see the baby it's, it's, <laughs> It's um one of the people that like it's funny we had you know a couple guests on for four favorites one of them Marius Kuhn 
was the one who taught that Werner Herzog class. Oh. And the other one, Alan Muttley, who is a film critic, has seen the entire filmography of Werner Herzog. So a lot of our guests are really big fanatics when yeah. it comes to uh, Herzog. And I've just kind of been trading behind. But, uh, but I've, seen, I've seen a fair share of this. I've seen about, well, I've only seen 10 of 77 films. Um, but yeah, uh, we're getting off trail from the topic of yes, war. Yes. So maybe uh, let's close it out. You've got a whole bunch of recommendations if you want to see good uh, war films over here. Although I did hear from a bunch of people because we are showing that uh, shout out again to my local theater that I work at, uh, that a, p a bunch of people who went to see another film were like, oh no, I don't want to watch that film. Not because it's on Netflix, but because of the dread that they don't want to experience. And I think that's mm. a really very fair argument why, why you dislike a film. Uh, because I've seen, a, like we went over the ratings and it's been like super positive from the people who've seen it, who who see the artistic uh, background in it. But I've seen a bunch of reviews who um, were kind of negative on it just because they were like war. I think it's a silly argument to say like, oh, we, in the current state of whatever right now the world is in, it's like dreadful to see that. And I think like, well, you can make that argument like every time you just like, don't like war films. Uh, mm. I feel like there's always some war going on. It's just like from your mostly Eurocentric or US uh, perspective, you sometimes care less about certain things than, than others. Uh, but I think it, it really makes a case for um, being being uh, worth being seen, you know, by this, because it's a great story that's told. Uh, but I'm trailing off, Lachlan, I'm, I'm repeating myself. So let's get to our rating uh, of the film. Um, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll kick it off. I'll, I'll say this is a four out of five for me. Uh, really solid uh, film really a great war film if you are, are interested in that genre and yeah what about you Lachlan uh I also gave it a four out of five uh phenomenal, hey, phenomenal storytelling uh that's a that's mm -hmm. a four that's a four stars from quiet on set but uh yeah that wraps it up for our review now let's have a look at uh well, the picks of the week, which I think will tie over into the overall war theme. Like, and you want to kick it off? Full Metal Jacket. I love it. Why? Because yeah. it's only two hours long. Well, it's just under two hours long. So it's a very short film, but it depicts mm -hmm. two different styles of war film. The, the, the psychological, which yeah. you know, Apocalypse Now does throughout the entire thing. But also the grittiness, mm -hmm. the the seriousness, the again the, the disgusting atrocities that have been that have taken place on planet Earth. Uh, I've got the 4K. Yeah. I'd highly recommend it. It looks absolutely stunning in 4K. One of Stanley mm -hmm. Kubrick's uh, best films. Would I say it's my yeah. favorite Stanley Kubrick war film? It's hard to say. I, I, I still kind of throw it up between Paths of Glory and uh, Full Metal Jacket. But in this mm. instance, fuck it. I'll say it. I think that it's one of the best war films ever. Apocalypse Now, I would say, is, yeah. is, is on par. But there's something about Full Metal Jacket, uh, especially in relation to uh, this film in particular uh, with All Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, I feel like mm -hmm. All Quiet does do a, a decent job of the atrocities that take place. And I think Full Metal Jacket does a very similar job, but I think it does an excellent job of saying uh, war is bad. And I think that's a very important message that should be thrown across uh, everyone's face. War is bad. War is bad. So that should be the title of today's episode. Uh, because it's the same sentiment you get when you watch uh, Come and See, 
uh, the movie I just mentioned before. Uh, second highest rated film over Is that the one with on Millie Bobby Letterbox, Brown on the cover? By the way. <laughs> that's actually pretty... <laughs> oh, that's, that's really funny. <laughs> like, that's up there as your top um, five. Hang on, I'm doing, I'm, doing a Photoshop. I'm doing a Photoshop right now. <laughs> Uh, but no, it's it's that film streaming on the Criterion channel. Um, I don't own a 4K. I would love to be able to hold it up, but I but I don't own it. Um, but a great film. Um, go seek it out if you are in the mental state uh, similar to that you'd have to be to watch All Quiet. You'll be uh, equally equally as um, dreadful during this experience. But I think it's it's a really valuable one to go through. Uh, to get that depiction of war that is done massively, uh, massively. It's not just my one of my favorite war films. It's one of my favorite films, period. So uh, go check out, come and see. So that brings us to the end of our review. Uh, soon we'll be reviewing uh, the second film in the Black Panther franchise, uh, Wakanda Forever. So uh, come back next Tuesday for uh, that one. In the meantime, uh, you can uh, subscribe to the channel if you don't want to miss any other videos and leave a like. Helps us grow the show a lot. You can also follow Lachlan and myself on our socials. You'll find them linked below as well. Uh, the Quiet On Set podcast is powered by Cineman and we got new episodes every week. So come back, tune back in and we'll see you soon. Bye.